0: It's episode 36 of The Build. We're in our Brett Lernout era, our Matt D'Agostini phase, our Francois Beauchemin age. I was always bummed that Brett Lernout never never fully you know, realized his NHL potential, um, especially as a Montreal Canadian. It would have been cool cheering for a guy named Brett Lernout. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm your host, Ian Boisvert, a person who someone on Reddit recently called relatively well-informed, which I think is really neat. I was, there was a, a, a Reddit post on the Habs subreddit that said, it was like, what are some of your favorite podcasts? And someone said that they like the Build the Best and that I'm relatively well-informed. Now, they also said that I, I, I post episodes somewhat infrequently, and to that point, they are correct. <laughs> because I was doing pretty well, and then I said, you know, next week I'll ta- I'll be back with another episode, and then I just wasn't. Um, regardless of that, it was a very nice thing to see someone say out in the wild, um, you know, people will say nice things to me about the show, right, but for someone to unprompted or, you know, prompted pretty openly to say what podcast they like, and they like this one, it's pretty cool, so thanks for that. Um, it it made my day. And I'm sure whenever you make those kinds of comments about the content that you see, the odds are the person who makes that content sees something like that. They see it. So thanks. Um, a lot has happened since I last recorded, both to the Canadians and to me personally. This is sort of on the lines of why I wasn't available to record a show recently. Um I was I've been so just on a personal aside, I've I've been looking for um a new job for about a year and change i haven't i've been working the whole time but i've been looking for a new opportunity and finally i was i was offered a, a new job um i was that's why this show didn't exist last week it's because i was finalizing interviews and 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 all that good stuff so i got the gig so i think it's well worth it at this point um but thanks for your patience as i figured all of that out it's not um it's not fun. I like doing this show weekly. I try to do it as regularly as possible. Um, so that it, it did kind of stink to step away for a little bit. But I think the reasoning is, is adequate here. Um, and as for the Canadians, uh, everyone's getting hurt. Every player that you can imagine on the team is probably playing through some kind of injury. Um, they finally have a break in their schedule to relax. So I think that's a reasonable place for us to start today is with these injuries. Um, not only are new ones being added to the injury, injured list but old names are also having a hard time coming off the injured list. But we'll start with the biggest addition since we last spoke, and that, of course, being Cole Caulfield. Um, He played his last game of the season on January 19th against Florida before being shut down to have shoulder surgery. Um, It doesn't seem like there's much of a chance for this to linger beyond the recovery of the surgery. The Canadians and the player and and the agent got several opinions before shutting things down. Um, his season ends with 26 goals and 36 points in 46 games. Over an 82-game season, if he played all of them, he was on pace for 46. So, you know, a, a, a goal-scoring season that we have not seen um, from a Montreal Canadian in a very, very long time. The concern regarding this injury mostly came from the announcement that he had been playing with this injury for quite some time. From my perspective, playing injured players in a season that was lost from the start is really hard to accept. The team's in 26th place. Like, there's not really, you know, there's no, there's usually really no good reason to play an injured player. So I don't want this to come off as saying, well, if they were playing better and they were in a playoff spot, it would have made sense to play him hurt. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that now, especially there's, there's, he's not providing any value to the team in a season that is valueless. There's, you know, at least from an on ice results perspective, from a development perspective, of course you want him out there playing, but if he's playing hurt, how much of that is counteracted by, you know, just the, the nature of his injury and, you know, the potential consequences that could come of that, you know, for his long term health. Um, hockey players do everything they can, you know, to play. They, they, that warrior mentality is really dangerous stuff. Um, And, you know, they play through some really, really gruesome things. That's not something I or you or anybody is ever going to will out of the sport. But you would expect that a team and, you know, a medical staff and an agent would step in to stop this sooner rather than later. Ultimately, that's what ended up happening after several medical opinions were gathered. Is it possible that Caulfield wasn't doing any more damage to his shoulder while playing on it? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I don't even think there's a but to this point. We just really don't know what's happening from a medical standpoint. However, from an optics standpoint, it's all really tough to explain. Um, and this this doesn't st- stop or start with the Caulfield injury. There, there's, there's a lot going on in that locker room that we're not aware of from a, you know, which players are dealing with what standpoint. Stu, uh, Stu Callen tweeted after the Habs last game before the All-Star break in their bye week, Um, he said, it's amazing how many players were coming out of the dressing room with knee braces on over their suit pants. Um, aside, aside from the nine regulars who are dealing with injuries at the moment, as in like they are missing time because of their injuries, there are likely a handful or more of healthy players, the word healthy being heavily caveated, of course, that are dealing with injuries they would otherwise be out with should the team have any extra healthy forwards. Um. The Canadians, it seems like, have gone weeks without a healthy complement of twelve forwards. We know Kirby Doc is dealing with something. He he practiced right before the last game against Ottawa, but he missed a bunch of practices leading into that to receive treatment. Ad did Christian Dvorak. He had been missing practices for treatment. Nick Suzuki, I don't think he's been missing practices, but he certainly has been dealing with something. It's fairly obvious from watching him that he's not a hundred percent. Um so it begs the question to me at least, like why Have the Canadians not made a waiver claim to handle this? Um, Since January 15th, there have been 11 forwards placed on non-termination waivers. There's been a couple players who were placed on waivers for the purpose of terminating a contract. No one really gets claimed off those waivers. Um, One of those 11 players was Lane Peterson, a forward who was claimed by Columbus, so Montreal never had a shot. Um, Another was Michael McCarron, who was coming back from the, the player assistance program, so it made sense for McCarron's own sake to let him just go be Michael McCarron in, I think, I think it would be Norfolk, the admirals. I think that's the, the predators farm team still, um, that still leaves nine forwards that the Canadians could have claimed for free and then placed right back on waivers when they didn't need them anymore. Of course, some of those players have years on their contracts past this one. Some of them had, you know, salary money that was probably over a million dollars. Um, and Montreal probably rightfully wants some contract flexibility heading into the trade deadline in next season. I think they're currently sitting at 46 contracts out of 50. You can only have 50 contracts on a roster at a, on, in an organization at any given time. Um, but that's part of the value assessment, right? Like that's Montreal can have contract and roster flexibility at the trade deadline, or they can sacrifice some of that so that Christian Dvorak and, and, and Kirby Doc and Nick Suzuki can sit games out to heal. But instead, you know, they're, they're choosing roster flexibility. And again, I reiterate, we don't really know what's bothering these players. We know that they're dealing with something. We don't know if they're doing any more damage by playing. We just don't know. But as I pointed out, that doesn't improve the optics of any of this. It just kind of puts a big question mark over all of it. Which I know that NHL teams would rather have everyone's health be a question mark not to say they want players unhealthy, but to say it's not in any of their best interest to disclose this information to the public. Um, so, you know, you start to hope that maybe after after this All-Star break and bye week, you know, we should be getting Yoel Armia and and Jonathan Dran back sometime shortly after. I think they're expected back um, on, on the 11th against the Islanders. But... All you can really hope for is that no one gets hurt over the All-Star break. It seems like a lot of them are headed onto vacation, so it's not really, you know, noteworthy. Except for Jesse Ullinen and uh, Alex Bilziel, who were sent down to Laval to play through this break. You hope that they stay healthy in Laval. Because organizationally, the Canadians are kind of running out of bodies. So, after the trade deadline, or, you know, at the trade deadline, I imagine, you know, they're going to start moving bodies out. You have to imagine that even with future assets coming in, prospects and and draft picks, they're probably taking on some NHL bodies in return just to plug into their lineup at the end of the year. Think like William Legison last year in the, in the Brett Kulak deal, right? They needed, a, they needed a warm body back. It also helps, you know, it, it helps the, the acquiring team. Um, you know, it helped the Oilers in that sense because they were able to clear a contract in order to take one on. Um, but that's the sort of thing that I think the Canadians are going to have to do in order to ice a full, healthy complement of players, which, they again, they have not been able to do in a very long time. Um, outside of those guys who are you know, still playing, um, Monaghan isn't playing, and now he isn't even practicing. At some point, he had come back, and he was practicing, and now he's not practicing with the Canes. On December 13th, Monaghan was said to have a lower body injury that would keep him out for three weeks. On January sixth, three weeks later, the Canadian said he'd be out for two more weeks. We're almost a month out from that last update, and we still don't know what's going on. Um, it's not looking good from a trade value standpoint because the whole knock on Monahan was his inability to stay healthy, which is unfortunate because there's not really anything a player can do about that. It's just a nat- the nature of that player. Um, we, you know, I had at least thought that Monahan was going to get moved for a late first at the deadline. I'm kind of thinking now that Montreal might be lucky to move him at all, because if he's not healthy, no one's going to trade for him. Um, it would obviously be best if he comes back after the break and he plays well, but him coming back is still a question mark. I'm sure he'll come back. I'm sure he's not done for the year, but like when, when is it happening? Does it give the acquiring team enough time to look at him and say, yep, this guy's healthy. Can we, can we justify sending an asset in exchange for Sean Monahan?" again, it's all medical information that we don't know, and we aren't getting detailed information on for a reason. But it's still confusing to see what's happening here, right? The, the whole I, I always revisit this. The whole purpose of this show is to try to figure out what this front office values and what this front office wants to do in order to create a cup contender. Every little thing matters. And I'm not saying, like, this is the end of the world, but it's, it's tough trying to figure out why they'd rather play seven defensemen and 11 forwards every night when they had options available at, on waivers. They had free bodies available. And they, they said, no, we'd rather have the flexibility to, to, you know, take more contracts in, to move contracts out. They're comfortable with where they am, where they are. Getting to why they're comfortable where they are is kind of what I want to find out. Like, it's why I would ask these questions if I was in... In those press availabilities, right? Like, which is a big you know, pie in the sky dream. I'm not recording in my living room, but you know, and it again, I I, I tweeted about this too. It, it's not an indictment of of the front office. I just I'm 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 very curious. I want to hear them say like we'd rather have that flexibility than you know to to call a guy up. Obviously, there's some there's some points where that's not true. They played Owen Beck in a in a an emergency recall situation. I think it's cuz they were in Ottawa, he was close by. <laughs> they just brought him in for a game and then sent him back to I think he's in Peterborough now. So obviously like there's some value to that to, they see some kind of value in putting a player in the lineup. It's just a matter of like how they they don't they didn't seem to want like Matthew Pekka or Jacob Lucchini. Like these were guys that were on waivers who are perfect plug in on the fourth line, play 11 minutes, wait till someone's healthy and put him back on waivers players. Those those are the kinds of guys that I'm talking about. Um, I'm not even talking about like the Ely Tolvanen, who I thought like could have made an impact on this team beyond this season. Um, I'm just talking about guys. Put guys in this lineup so that Christian Dvorak and Kirby Doc and Nick Suzuki can sit out if they're not a hundred percent. At any rate, you know Hughes mentioned it, and I think I mentioned it in the last episode. But Hughes mentioned it in his in his press availability um, at the midway point of the season. He he said that. But last year, the team had a ton of back injuries, so they worked with the medical team on ways they could possibly limit those in the future. But then he mentioned that, like, this season, there's not really much they've been able to do about the injuries since they, they all seem kind of, not not random, but unrelated. Um, They all have different bumps and bruises, and almost all of them have, like, an on-ice moment where we can see the injury happen. And It's not like they're doing something in training that's causing these or exacerbating these injuries. Um, it's just... The injuries are what they are this year. Um, you know, if you're going to have a really injured team, as as you know, tough as it is to say, like a year where like there's there's not a lot riding on it, is is fine, right? It's not like the Canadians were expecting to make the playoffs this year. It's why I'm talking about this in a very like you know nonchalant way. Obviously, these guys are hurt. It sucks. They're human beings. I'm not saying like oh, it's 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 better that they're injured. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, from a, from a fan's perspective, like, imagine, imagine this was like, you know, the, the, the Canadians team that Mark Bergevin built the year that they went to the cup final. Where they were built to be like a good hockey team and they were supposed to win games. And they were supposed to go on a run. And if they just got really banged up, then nothing could happen. None of that would have happened. So, the injuries suck. I'm wishing all these guys get well soon. We still have like three months of the season. A little less than three months, so they've they've got uh they've got some time to uh to kill here. They've got to get healthy and then stay healthy for the remainder of the year. All right. Last week I promised we'd talk about um, Kent Hughes's first year as the general manager of um, the the Montreal Canadiens. His first ever general manager job. He's never he's never held this position. I don't think he's ever been an AGM either. Um, he went from being a a pretty pretty well-known player agent to the front office of an NHL team. Um, Now that we have hindsight, we can try to judge how he set up this team for the next decade, or at least what he's doing to set this team up for the next decade. Um, Since his hiring on January 18th, the Canadians are 35, 51, and 10. That is 80 points in 96 games, otherwise known as a 68-point pace in an 82-game season. So they're still bad. (laughs) I don't think you needed me to tell you that. I don't think you need the numbers to know that. They're not a good hockey team. Um, They're still very much in the conversation for a high pick in this year's draft. Um, This season might end up beating that 68-point pace. I think Mika Blake-McCurdy's at ineffective math. His point projection model has the Canadians finishing with about 75 points. So this season is a a bit of a... um, of an upgrade from last season, so it's likely skewing this total just a bit. But again, this is his first full season, so he has the you know the whole season to to see improvements over. Um, but it's still a bad hockey team, right? Like we know that it's not a complete team. The defense is particularly very young. Um, as much as some of the players have surprised us throughout the year, it's still young. It's still prone to mistakes. The goaltending hasn't been spectacular in the first. Bit of the year it was okay. It slipped towards, you know, the middle ish part, and now it's kind of getting better because Montembeau is is playing really well. Um But it's still it's still a, a fairly um a fairly incomplete hockey team. There's there's a lot of holes here. But let's talk about what's gone well first. Um in summary, at least in my opinion, a lot's gone pretty well for Ken Hughes since he took over. Um he's managing both the teardown of this um roster and organization and the addition of assets pretty well. Like a rebuild isn't just like you tear it down and then you just wait for draft picks to hit. Like you're you you should be adding young pieces throughout the entire process and pieces in general. I think this, you know, and, and chronologically it makes sense. It all starts with the hiring of Marty Saint-Louis um last February. I was actually planning I was planning this show at that time. It hadn't it hadn't launched yet. And I wanted to get out in front of a potential coach firing, but I think I had like planned my first episode and then they went and fired uh, Dom Ducharme. So it was like, oh, well, we'll talk about it in the second episode. First, we have to do something else. Um, Marty St. Louis, since he's taken over, I think has changed the culture around the Canadians for the better. Um, I don't think he's a perfect coach. I don't think those exist. Every coach has their warts. They have their 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 tendencies that that aren't very well liked by fans or by players you know um but you know i think that all all leaders make mistakes all leaders do things differently than than how their teams may may want them to do them um even though i disagree with some of the decisions that he's made so far you can see that the future is in mind for all of these players um you know who the intent is on keeping them here for a long time. I go back to the the puppy comparison that Marty made earlier this year. And I, it's funny, but it's also a helpful lens for seeing how he doesn't hold mistakes against younger players. He wants them to learn from those mistakes. Um, I asked myself, has a player truly been, like, benched consistently this year because of poor play? Has a young player just been glued to the bench? You can argue Slavkovsky got to motions late in games and and sat on the bench for a little bit, but they were few and far between. There was, like, one stretch of time where it was happening, like, I think it happened, like, every game for two weeks or so, but it didn't happen, it wasn't like it was happening since October. So he wants them to learn from their mistakes, and he knows that like sometimes you have to go to the press box to learn from those mistakes, but other times you have to actually get back out on the ice, which is a novel concept to a lot of coaches in this league. Um, is Marty going to be the Canadiens coach when they start to play in competitive games and when they're, they're, you know the, the goals um, and expectations of this team shifts? Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to be here. The rest of the staff is still kind of in open dialogue but I think Marty's the guy. Um, getting their guy pretty early in this process should pay off in the long term, especially for those younger players, um, because they're going to have stability at the head coach position that a lot of bottom-dwelling teams and young players don't get. Like Think of like all these teams that are perpetually rebuilding, and they, they have all these young players coming into their lineup constantly. Most of the time, by, like, by the end of their entry-level contract, they've seen two or three head coaches. Like, I'm thinking Buffalo in, in particular, like, the Coyotes, Anaheim, they're pro- they might fire their coach again, you know? So, like, there are. There's, there's a great deal of value, I believe, in Marty being there from the beginning of this and the organization trusting him with these young players throughout. Um, because it's obvious, like, the, the energy that he brings to that lineup, to that, to that room... I find that like once this team starts to be competitive and is in a playoff race and is in a playoff series, like he's going to it, how can you not get up to play for Marty Saint Louis? It seems impossible so that's that's an early win for Hughes and Gordon because you know Gordon knew him very well and he had been he had been chasing him you know for a coaching position since he was with the Rangers um But, you know, Hughes Hughes gets the hire done as well, so kudos to both of them. Um, They've also, you know, under Hughes have added valuable futures while, you know, adding pieces to this Canadian's team. Um, The Tyler Toffoli trade was his first really big piece of business. He grabs a first, a 2023 conditional third, and a 2024 conditional fifth, so we still haven't seen the end of that trade tree. Um, That first was used on Philip Mayshar. I think that pick's going to turn out pretty good, although Meshar has slowed down considerably since he had a very hot start to the year in the OHL. I know folks were thinking that he might be too good for that league. Turns out he is very not, and he's still learning how to play North American hockey. Hughes, in that deal, he probably gets market value for Toffoli. It's not a fleecing. It's not one that we think about every day, but it's still a good trade, right? It's fine. He got, he got got He got a first-round pick. And he got other stuff as well, conditional third and conditional fifth. Those are not nothing. Um, The Sherratt trade was next, and this one is unquestionably the most lopsided deal in his tenure. Um, He gets Ty Smolannik, a 2022 fourth, which becomes Cedric Gindon, and an unprotected 2023 first. Um, That last pick is looking better every day with Florida likely to miss the playoffs, And several teams currently just behind them with games in hand. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, It's the sort of trade that will taint any Joel Edmondson trade because we'd want him to do the same thing again. But it's still, I mean, it's just to get a first round pick for Ben Chirot, regardless of where Florida finished, was already great. The fact that Florida has played this poorly and has a chance to continue to play this poorly, is huge for the Montreal Canadiens. It's, it's, I feel bad for the Panthers, but this is tremendous content. Um, Arturi Lekkinen to, to, to Colorado, it still kind of stings because of how good Lekinen was and how good he still is, but I'm still hopeful that um, Justin Barron becomes a regular middle-pairing defenseman. Um, they also grabbed a second-rounder in that deal, which is in the 2024 draft, so we still haven't seen the last of that, um, a second rounder is not nothing. That's that's quite a nice piece to grab in that in that trade. Um, Brett Kulak for two months of William Leggison and pick sixty two in the twenty twenty two NHL draft. Um, that pick probably turned out to be no one, except it wasn't. That's Lane Hudson. <laughs> so the Sharat deal is still the most lopsided, but this can change quickly if Hudson isn't a mirage and he's like, like. You know the names that they're comparing him to in in you know with his his statistics and his style of play in the NCAA are like Adam Fox, and I keep hearing Kale McCarr, and I'm not going to believe Kale McCarr until I actually see him in the NHL, but to be in the in that conversation is still fantastic. And that was it for his in season moves. He made a bunch of moves at the deadline around the deadline, Um, but you know then he, you know you kind of go quiet for a little bit during the playoffs. He. He deals Weber's contract to Vegas for getting to Donoff. This gave the Canadians more financial flexibility. Um, as DeDonoff is off the books this July and Weber just heads to long-term injured reserve for Vegas, Montreal doesn't have to deal with the rest of that contract and the money tied up in it. Um, DeDonoff was certainly expected to be more than he ended up being for Montreal, but the contract still doesn't hurt them all that much. It's gone at the end of the year. Maybe they find a team to take him at the deadline. I'm very doubtful that that's the case though. Um, then he sat tight until the draft where he surprised everyone taking Uriah Slavkovsky first overall. Um, my thoughts on Slavkovsky's rookie season are in the last episode, so you can go check them out there. It still remains to be seen how he pans out. Um, there was a fantastic article in the, um, in, uh, Elite Prospects' ringside, which is a paid service. I think it's like eight bucks a month, maybe if that. Um, talking about how, you know, Slefkowski still, has very high projections, and the play that he did show this year shows that he can still hit those projections. It's It was a very exciting read to know that like the things that we had seen him do pretty well are things that people who know what they're talking about are watching him do and thinking he's still capable of hitting those really lofty projections that they had for him. Um, but it still remains to be seen how that pans out. Hughes made it clear that this organization is going to do what they think is best for the future, and that might involve a few projects here or there, right? Like, I think Slavkovsky undoubtedly is, like, if you were comparing him with Wright, Slavkovsky is a bigger project. Um, But the Canadians are betting that, like, they won't be able to find another player like him anywhere else. Um, at At the draft, after they went with Slavkovsky, I said to myself that they, okay, you didn't get a center, you need to go find a center. And I thought that was going to come with the Calgary pick. Instead, it's a few minutes later when Hughes trades for Kirby Dock. Um, they they move a good player in Romanoff to make it happen, a good young defenseman. But getting the 13th overall pick for Romanoff is legitimate robbery. Then flipping that 13th pick for Dock, even with that pick being used on, on Frank Nazar, it's still a good trade. Dock has a third overall pick from just a few years ago. He just turned 22 last month. Um, and Doc is in the middle of his breakout season, and he looks like he's going to be a pillar of this offense for a long time. At the time, it looked like an attempted home run swing, and for the time being, it looks like Hughes connected. I was kind of doubtful of it at the time, even of the contract that he ended up signing afterwards. But that was that was really, really solid work by Hughes to find a an organization who was just having an absolute fire sale, which included young players, and Montreal wanted in. Um, elsewhere at that draft, Owen Beck and uh, Lane Hudson look to be excellent second-round selections. Um, after the draft, he flips Paling and Petrie for Mike Matheson, who's a younger defenseman, a little bit cheaper. He's been hurt a lot this year. I've liked what I've seen. We just haven't seen a lot of him. Um, but they they seem to really think that Mike Matheson is is a long-term piece for this, um, for this Canadian's roster. And then he trades fan favorite future considerations to the Calgary Flames for the last year of Sean Monaghan's deal and a conditional first-round pick um, that has enough conditions that will make you want to give up reading for the rest of your life, which is just they, they took advantage of their salary situation. I think that trade, if I remember correctly, they then like, essentially went to the media. Like, they had their press conference. They were like, yeah, Carey Price isn't playing anymore. So it allowed them to make that deal. So that cu- very quick recap of the last year of trades and, and you know, other goings-ons, um, all of that to say that I think Hughes has done a really good job positioning this organization for future success. They're not there yet. They're not good now, which is good because it's going to secure them at the very least another top 10 pick in this draft with a chance at like two in the top 15 between them and Florida. Um He's acquired four total first-round picks in a year with the chance to get more with the pieces that they currently have left to trade on this roster. He made a trade for a 21, now 22-year-old center who looks to be like a, a cornerstone of this team moving forward. He's shed some salary. He has the chance to shed even more before this season's over. He's given them more financial flexibility, not only with that salary, but with the years left on contracts. Most importantly, though, I think he understands that this is not a quick fix. I go back to what he said his biggest challenge has been in his first year on the job. We talked, I think I talked about it in the last episode or the one before. He, he's he said his biggest challenge was there's so much to do. He understands that this, this organization was not left in good shape. And he, he fully understands that this team is not going to be a playoff team next year. And it, might not be a playoff team the year after that. There's there's serious surgery that needs to be done here. So what does he still have left to do? Um, I've got I've got three things keyed in here. Um, for starters, a starter. By that I mean a goalie who can be this team's franchise goalie moving forward. I know Montebu has turned it on of late, and and. Hughes has even said that Montembeau is not an option to be traded because he wants to keep him and see how he develops in Montreal. He's still relatively young for a goaltender. I know that. But I think some insurance in this regard would be nice because Jake Allen's not getting any younger and he's not getting any better, unfortunately. Um, Even if, you know, the Ottawa game, even if some of the goals weren't on him, he gave up five. So that's not a reality for this team long term. Maybe that insurance is already in this organization with Caden Primo, which is unlikely in my opinion, but still possible. Or maybe it's you know someone whose you know rights are owned by the team in Frederick D'Show or Jakob Dobish. Dobish, of course, is playing. I believe he's with Ohio State in the uh, NCAA. He's been having a great season. His numbers look fantastic. Um, but until we see Montebo play like like the way he's playing now. For an extended period of time, like from now until the end of the season, I'm going to assume that they are constantly exploring other options in net. And it's no disrespect to Sam Montembo. It's just that the team needs to protect themselves, in my opinion, from going goalie-less for a very long time. Goalies aren't, you know, it's not like... I don't think that this team needs another Carey Price. They don't need another, you know, heart trophy winning goaltender. They need someone who's going to give them slightly above average goaltending when it is in its competitive years. Um, So that's one, find find a true number one starting goaltender. Two, continue to strip down this roster. There's still a lot of bad money tied up on this team's cap-friendly page. And by bad money, I don't even necessarily mean bad players, bad contracts, or combinations of the two. It's just money that has no value for the Canadians at the moment because they're not trying to win hockey games. Like, Sean Monahan's contract has value for the Canadians at the moment because it, it, it acquiring it gave them a first-round pick. And trading it will likely bring them more assets if he's healthy. I'm thinking, like, Mike Hoffman, Huel Armia, Joel Edmondson, David Savard. Like, those are guys who I think... I think all of those players could provide value to a playoff team. Especially Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman in that last game against Ottawa was like if you were looking to acquire Mike Hoffman and you're like, ah, I don't think he's the player he once was, that game against Ottawa, where he fired approximately six hundred and thirty five shots on net, that's who you like, that's who you have to imagine you're you're trading for if you're trading for Mike Hoffman. UL Mia, I I know Andrew Berkshire says this about him constantly. He's a luxury player. He's a guy that, like, if you're a really good hockey team, you're sliding him in on your fourth line. Edmondson and Savard, those guys, as much as, like, you know, analytically we don't see a ton of value in them, although Savard's had a surprisingly good year from a possession and, and expected goal standpoint, those are guys that never go out of style in the NHL because general managers can can sell that, you know, to their organizations, look, we got a big, rough, and tough defenseman. Um, these are guys that I'm looking at to be moved over the next year, whether that's at this deadline or the next one. It's it, it, those guys need to be moved out to clear up some cap space, to clear up roster spots, and to clear up, you know, just the amount of of term that is that is hanging over this team for the next few years. You can probably throw Josh Anderson into that conversation as well. I, I'm, I am feel like it's more likely he gets dealt at this year's trade deadline than maybe I felt earlier on in the year because Anderson's play is really forcing that conversation to be had by other teams. I feel like he'd be a great fit on the Devils. They're looking for a top six forward. Anderson can do that. Um, In doing so, trading all of these guys with cap heads, you just have to hope that it's not costly to you, right? Like, yeah, I'd love to get. I'd love to pay to get rid of. Or I'd love to get rid of UL Armia's contract, but if paying for it to get done, like adding an asset to Armia to get him traded, is the only way it gets done, I wonder if, if they balk at that idea because, like, as much as there's no value in keeping him, it certainly doesn't mean that you know he has negative value that we should be sending something away with him. Um. So, just can to wrap that point up, continuing to strip down this roster um, and to do it in a cost-effective way. Um, and lastly, which is kind of tied into the, to the second point, but I think it's, it's a little, the, the crux of it is a little bit different, continue to add futures. Obviously, you're adding futures, you know, draft picks, prospects, young NHL players, because you use those to build a hockey team. Which seems very silly to say out loud, but lay the groundwork there. That's why you add those. But then also look around the league at teams that are truly going for it, right? That are trying their best to win a Stanley Cup. Florida, for some reason. Calgary, Toronto, Boston, the Islanders. They are running out of futures to deal, right? All of these guys are saying the future does not exist. There's only today. We have to go for it. Montreal acquiring, a, like, a whole bunch of picks and prospects now not only allows them to build out their team, you know, the the 26-27 the, the Montreal Canadiens, for example, but it gives them trade currency down the line when they want to add a Tyler Toffoli or an Arturi Lakinin. That capital... That Those assets dry up fast, and all those teams I listed are almost out of futures to deal. Boston is so de- desperate for future assets that they tried to sign one of the most toxic assets in the history of the sport before everyone gave them well-deserved grief for it, and they walked away. The Leafs made three draft picks in 2021. Three picks. And their best one, a second rounder, is Matthew Nye's who, in that organization's mind, is an untouchable prospect because they don't have anything else. Now, some of that is because of what happened with Rodion uh, Amirov, um, a prospect for theirs who I think developed um, cancer, unfortunately. But, you know, they they're struggling with their prospects and their draft picks. They don't have a ton of these things left. So with those three things to consider moving forward, which I think, you know... Most, I don't think any of those three things that I listed are all that surprising as things that Kent Hughes and company still have to get done. Um, If I was grading his performance over the last year, I'd say I think I'd give him a B minus for his efforts in rebuilding this team. Again, the organization at this moment is probably no closer to winning a cup than they were when Hughes took over, but they're certainly more they're certainly better positioned to build a cup contender than they were 12 months ago. I don't think anything that they've done have set them back in this rebuild. Um so they're every few every move has the future in mind. I think that's that's what's most important here. So that was the year in review for um for Kent Hughes. Um we'll do one more thing as I do from time to time, we're going to go back to the drawing board and do our building blocks and call it a week. Um back to the drawing board, I really struggled finding one here, but then I I don't know if this is against the rules, but I'm sending Habs fans back to the drawing board. Why? Because we played two straight games against the Senators, and it is impossible for us to let Senators fans say dumb stuff in silence. I don't know what a Sens buzz is, or what that Marvin the Martian parody account are doing, but I don't care for what they have to say, and I don't think that you guys should either. I promise you they like it when you quote tweet and yell at them. I promise you it's their favorite thing. They like Brady Kachuk. Like the the the, the, the there's no accounting for taste here. I follow like 2 cents fans that are cool. Stop retweeting this stuff on my feed or y'all get blocked. I don't know if I have another drawing board in me. That's just that I had to get that off my chest. Building blocks. We've got 3 things here cuz it's it's we're feeling positive this week. It's a new job. Maybe it's the new Cheekface track that came out. I'm just feeling good. Um, but Kirby Doc, an obvious pick this week. Um, I've ta- I talked about the Doc versus Suzuki conversation with Andrew Berkshire and Game, o- Game Over Montreal on the SDPN. Um, and we both kind of agreed the versus aspect of this is still really silly, right? Like Montreal doesn't have to choose between the two of them. They have both of them. Whether one rolls out as the first-line center or the second-line center will change weekly, and it isn't worth all this hot takery at this point. And I will say, like, it's funny how this comparison and this, this idea that, well, Doc is truly the number-one center. It's only happening while, like, Doc is on an absolute heater because someone on this team has to score goals, and he's been very good, and he's scoring the goals. And Suzuki is on a bit of a slump, despite being Montreal's player, best player in that last game against Ottawa. You know, you can tell that a point is, 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 is nothing more than hot takes when, you know, they're using a snapshot of about a month to determine the next 20 years of, of how players develop and how players are utilized. It's silly. They're both 22. They're both great. It's great that Montreal has both of them. This idea that maybe one of them would have to move to wing in the future. Yeah, maybe. And that's a problem to get to later. They're still 22. They're still on this team. We're not moving them to the wing now. But to speak to Doc specifically, he's been everywhere. I find that he's particularly strong at getting pucks off the wall into the center of the ice. Um, The assist he had on Hoffman's goal against Winnipeg is a really, really good example of that. They're skating in. They're in the neutral zone. Uh, Doc takes a check, and he knows the check is coming, so he kind of like he puts his stick forward past the check, and as he's getting hit, he just pushes it to the middle of the ice where Hoffman can take it in on a bit of a of a break. Um, Slavkovsky often found himself in the center of the ice in the offensive zone and the neutral zone with no one to get the puck to him. I wonder if this is a combo we see next season where both players are totally healthy, and maybe they can benefit off of each other's play a little bit. It would be a lot of fun. It would also be an absolutely massive line. No matter who you put on the other wing, you're putting two six foot four forwards out there. It's that's a lot of player. Um, so great, great stuff from Kirby Duck. Um, next up, Raphael Harvey Penard. Um, as as Berkshire pointed out in Game Over, it is time to retire the Lavaliger name. Because now his name, and this is just me editorializing, now his name is Raphael Harvey Bedard. He has six total goals in his career, five this season. He has five goals in seven games this year. He had two in the last game against Ottawa. And strangely enough, every goal he's ever scored so far has been a tying goal in that game, which is an NHL record. Very funny. Um, He looked great next to Suzuki and Anderson, that line immediately looked 10 times better when Penard Harvey Penard was promoted there. Um, sorry, Rem Pitlick, but it's true. It's not often teams can turn overaged seventh round draft picks into NHL players. So he's a found wallet. It's very cool. Um, plus he's just one of those players. Who's fun to watch. He's a spark plug kind of guy. He creates off of strong four checks and, and creating havoc in the offensive zone. And he's got a good shot. Um, Lots to like there. I can't wait to see how how this progresses through the rest of this season and next season when, you know, Montreal's probably going to have to pencil him in to a roster spot next season if he continues this play for the rest of the year. And lastly, uh, the tank is a building block this week. I know Montreal um, has separated themselves from the four truly shameless tankers in Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim, and Arizona, and I'm not even flaming them. That is a, a perfectly valid way to build a hockey team. As long as the NHL makes it so that you get rewarded for losing, teams are going to keep losing on purpose. I don't know what to tell you. Gary says it doesn't happen. Gary Batman, that is. He's wrong. I don't know what to tell him. But they've also separated themselves from some of the teams above them. Um, the next closest team to Montreal is the St. Louis Blues. They are five points up on the Canadians. Um, Ottawa's win puts them seven points up on Montreal. Detroit, I think, is... If I remember correctly, I think they're currently six points up on the Canadians, but it could be more because they have like three games at hand. Detroit hasn't played any games this year. It's very odd. Um, So Montreal is at the absolute worst, finishing seventh in the race for Connor Bedard. And they still have some chances to move up to at least, at most, fifth. Um, Vancouver is one point back of Montreal with two games at hand, so that seems like they're going to pass the Canadians. San Jose is three points back with as many games played as Montreal, but Montreal has to go to San Jose on the last day of February in San Jose, meaning they never win in that building. So, like, if Montreal can somehow drop both points to San, to San Jose there, fifth place becomes very much in play for the Canadians. Um, plus, Florida's pick is not out of play just yet. I think a lot of people were writing that pick off because, you know, Florida was starting to put things together, but they have not gained a lot of ground. Um, yeah, there there there's only a few teams separating them from the playoffs, but they're they're still a, a sizable chunk. <laughs> there's still a sizable point gap from them in the playoffs. Not only that, Philly, Detroit, and Ottawa could push Florida down as low as ninth in the Budard race. And Detroit, like I think Detroit has a higher winning percentage right now because they just haven't played as many games, and Ottawa and Philly are right behind them. So if that were to happen. Where Montreal finishes fifth and Florida picks ninth. Combining those two odds from those from the odds from those two picks, the Canadians will have a 13.5% chance at winning the lottery. Which is the same as whoever finishes second in the standings. So essentially, Montreal could turn a fifth place finish into a second place finish. And then figure out what happens there. Is that likely to happen? It's certainly not the most likely thing to happen, but I suppose it's just as likely as the Canadians getting hot and winning a bunch of games and ruining the the tank. Both are pretty rather, you know, I, I think both are pretty unlikely, and the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But regardless of how that shakes out, I am not getting obsessed with it. The Canadians are plenty bad. They will lose a whole bunch of games down the stretch, especially when they start shipping bodies out of here and or shutting players down who are hurt. We cannot control this. There are two teams on the ice every night, and not only that, there are there are 15 other games going on. There's a lot of things in play here. The ping pong balls just have to hit the right way, and everything will be fine. Trust the process. They're gonna get, I they're gonna get a couple of good, really really good players early in this this draft in the first round, maybe more. Trust the process. Anyway, that's all I've got today. Thanks for listening. Again, apologies for leaving you hanging for a week. I hope you can find it in your hearts to forgive a relatively well-informed ho- podcast host. Um, until we meet again, follow me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian um, at Rabbit Haves for links to other stuff. Check out the last game over Montreal before the All-Star break slash bye week. It was a fun episode, as all of those are. They're back to doing live episodes again. I think I've got a couple more left this season. Uh, I think I've got three more game overs left. I'll let you know when those are. Um, But check them all out. They're live. Again, go back, hang out in the live chat and YouTube. It's a good time. Uh, But that's all I've got. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page. Check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye.